0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So the definitive lineup of Blink-182 is back. Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker have reunited with guitarist and vocalist Tom DeLonge. They've announced a huge tour and an album next year, and there's a new single out right now. In a minute, I'm going to be talking with Andy Green about all of that and the whole story of Blink-182. Tom's substitute in the band for the last few years was Matt Skiba of the band Alkaline Trio, And Tom just released a note he sent to Matt. Hi Matt, Tom DeLong here. I wanted to take a minute and say thank you for all that you've done to keep the band alive and thriving in my absence. I think you are enormously talented. I still love to listen to your band to this day. You've always been so kind to me, not only in the press, but also to others. I really noticed. Emotions between the three of us and Blink have always been complicated but Mark's cancer really put things in perspective. But to be honest, the band would not even be here today if it were not for your ability to jump in and save the day. So from my heart to yours, thank you for being a member of our band. So yes, Mark Hoppus recently survived cancer, which is just the latest chapter in what happens to be the really complex, sometimes dark, sometimes triumphant story of this band. Travis Barker, of course, survived the plane crash. Tom DeLonge is an important UFO researcher. It's all a lot. And I talked about all of it with Rolling Stone's Andy Grin. But first, a taste of Blink-182's new single, which we'll also be discussing. I that cool, so Tom DeLong is back in Blink-182 for the first time since 2015, but it feels like a lot longer. The world is very excited. And there is a new Blink-182 song. It's the first Blink-182 song with Tom in a decade. It has the somewhat unfortunate but very Blink-182 title of Edging. And it is certainly a back-to-basics Blink-182 song. What do you make of it?
1: I was impressed by it. I think it took me a few listens to really get into it. I think it works. It's the classic sound. It's sort of the early aught sound they had. It's a good way to bring everything back because they both sing on it, which is sort of rare. It's a rare Blink song that has prominent vocals that are for both Tom and for Mark. It's sort of a nice reboot of the group, and I think it bodes well for the album.
0: It's a little basic, but maybe that's what is needed right now. It does feel very rebooty. It's funny because Blink-182, of course, (laughs) technically had a song as recently as 2020. But that was with Tom DeLong's Replacement. And the two albums they made with Matt Skiba actually have some good songs on no. it. You leave. Of what you but no one was really accepting that as Blink-182 no, was the problem.
1: It was Plus 44 and the Alkaline Trio guy. It wasn't really Blink, I think. And I'm sure all that stuff now will be erased from history. But they could call it Blink. But if Tom's not there, it's not really Blink.
0: There may be songs on those two albums that if they had released and said, "Here's the new song with Tom DeLonge. He doesn't sing on it, but he's playing it. People would be like, this is awesome. They're back. Psychologically, no one's willing to give it credence. So yeah. they're back with this song. And, and it, it is a very simple, melodic pop punk song. It's more basic Blink-182, even on their 2003 self-titled album. They were experimenting way more than this. This is a return to pre-2003 Blink-182. which
1: is the most popular Blink, that when people think about Blink, the sound in their head is from Enema and the State, and it's from Take Off, Off Your Pants and Jacket. It's those two albums that define their legacy in a big way, and they've resisted that sound for a very long time. And this is kind of back to it.
0: What's funny is when we had Joe Truman from Fall Out Boy on the podcast the other week, this is sort of exactly what he's begging Fall Out Boy to do. It's a tricky thing. If
1: you try and go back to a classic sound in a conscious way, it almost never works. I think for you too, it worked, but that wasn't totally like Joshua Trey when they did Beautiful Day. And lots of bands that are like, it's back to basics, guys. It's almost worse than the experimentation. <laughs> You know, I think this could be an exception, but it it could be misleading. I imagine the album is going to be a lot more complicated than this song, and this is just kind of the first dose of it they're giving fans to get them psyched.
0: As we'll talk about extensively, Tom DeLong's whole thing supposedly was that he was kind of embarrassed by Blink One Eighty Two. He was very interested in his UFO research <laughs> and his very bombastic band, Angels and Airwaves, and so he has a tweet. It's quote tweeting another tweet. It was, it showed a bunch of uh, UFOs basically destroying the planet, and the caption is aliens while Tom DeLong is busy with Blink 182 again. <laughs> yeah. And he quote tweeted it and said, I'll protect Earth with dick jokes. And then he did at Blink 182. So it suggests a man who's chastened and lighthearted and ready to return to where he yeah, belongs, maybe. That,
1: that you can just fight your fate for so long. At a certain point, it's easier to just to just give into it. Be who you are meant to be, be the person the public loves, just count the money and just surrender to the ease of being the old Tom DeLong again. Which I think is great though. I was reading the fan forum and a bunch of fans they were bitching about him singing in his Angels and Airwaves voice. And what they mean (laughs) is him singing in his current day singing voice and not his singing voice that he had in his early (laughs) twenties. Which is kinda crazy.
0: If you're trying to recreate the thing, people are going to point out places where you didn't quite recreate it. I guess that is the problem.
1: Yeah, and what's cool about him in Blink is it forces him to paint with a very limited palette. It's just drum, guitar, bass. He can't do the Angels and Airwaves thing. He's forced to play in a stripped-down combo. I think he works better in a smaller combo.
0: People are reacting on TikTok and other social media as if this is the band's first reunion since like 2003. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's only been eight years or whatever since he was in the band. But in that interim, they made two records with somebody else. They toured a lot. It was this incomplete thing. It was very unfulfilling in a lot of ways for fans. This is kind of thing that, so they've been praying to see this moment for a pretty long time. And so people are just ecstatic. You, you, even though you're right, it's not been that long.
0: I guess the best analogy, the closest analogy is probably the Chili Peppers, where a member was in and out. The band kept going, but yet people basically act like the clock is reset every time. It's, it's huge news.
1: Right, that the Chilis went from playing arenas that weren't totally full to stadiums all over the country from just bringing back a guitar player, you know, who didn't sing the songs or anything. And the replacement, he played the parts like quite well. But there's something, there's an emotional connection to seeing a full lineup on stage back together again. It's the puzzle is complete. And for the fans, it's just much more satisfying.
0: There's a really funny part in Travis Barker's book where he tries to, Travis being, of course, the drummer of Blink Way 2, where he Tries to convince you, the reader, that when they played their first shows with Matt Skiba, these warm up shows, that people in the crowd were shouting, Skiba, Skiba. They were so happy, supposedly, that a founding member of the band who shares lead vocals was not in the band. They were just, the crowds just couldn't get over their excitement.
1: It's the classic story that when bands hire a placement singer, they say, oh, this is better than before. This is the best thing that's ever happened to us. We love this guy. He's our brother. Our new songs with him are so meaningful to us. We've never been happier. Then the second that person leaves, they erased that from history he's never referenced again. They took the albums off Spotify, off their website. It never happened.
0: (laughs) The weird thing is when I talked to Travis Barker last year, he said there were basically, there were two Blink-182 projects in the works with Skiba. There was one that was like all these rappers, like, I don't know, Lil Wayne and stuff, the quote-unquote modern hip-hop influenced thing that Barker wants, and then maybe a classic Blink-182 album, all this with Skiba. I would imagine, just as with the Chili Peppers, who were working on music with uh, their replacement guitarist Klinghoffer, <laughs> that all this stuff has been scrapped, maybe.
1: Oh, yeah. And probably erased off hard drives (laughs) and their their memories. They were like men in black style, erased that even happened. That what happened, you know, a couple years ago, they did a big blink summer tour of amphitheaters with Wayne. uh, And the ticket sales were so abysmal (laughs) that a week before it started, they announced they're doing Enema of the State straight through. It was like this desperate ploy.
0: Another classic move, yeah.
1: And I still went on Ticketmaster. There was just, Oceans of blue dots of unsold tickets. Wayne tried to quit the tour a few weeks in and was told he couldn't quit. He was like there against his will. It was just such a fiasco and a low point that Tom's return was just inevitable. And they couldn't keep doing this. I
0: think it's a few things. I think that their core audience is at an even better age for nostalgia now. Then they were in 2009 or so when they first reunited. It also was too, sort of too soon to be a it was blockbuster reunion.
1: That nostalgia takes time to sink in. And he'd just been gone like five years at that point. You have to be really in your mid-30s-ish to get super nostalgic. I think about the new kids on the block, that if they had reformed in 2001 or something, it wouldn't have worked. Their fans were still young. They were living their lives. When they reformed in 2008, it was
0: perfect timing. Back in arenas, you, you have to time it right. Yeah, I'm sure Blink fans are going to really appreciate that comparison. But I, I know, I'm not saying I know no, they're saying. very
1: different bands. Yeah. I love Blink. Uh, New Kids Are a Shitty Boy band. It's totally different.
0: And now why are you disparaging New Kids on the Block? Because
1: they're not good. <laughs> okay. They don't make good music. I will say it publicly, okay?
0: But basically, it does feel, for a number of reasons, like Tom DeLonge, it feels like Tom is probably... Back In a more real way this time It just feels that way I think it's because once you leave this many times And then come back It feels like maybe you've yeah. committed this time No,
1: Yeah, that in 2011 I spent the day after their show I was with the whole band for hours backstage And I go to Tom's dressing room He's wearing a Angels and Airwaves hat A Angels and Airwaves shirt He had an Angels and Airwaves sticker on his laptop and was working on new Angels and Airwaves songs in his dressing room before the Blink show. And it was so funny. And it was very clear from what he even said to me that Angels and Airwaves is his passion. It's his heart. Blink was just his ATM. It was a way to make lots of money. But for him to go back and pretend to be 15 and go on stage and make dick jokes and sing these old songs again, that his heart was not in it. You could watch those old videos He's singing the songs, but his eyes show just boredom and just all hostility.
0: And I will say they, they did make, in 2011, a record, a whole album with Tom DeLonge. Into life. So and
1: Neighborhood. What's so funny about that is when I interviewed them, they told me about making it in separate studios and how great that was. They were like Tom was in his studio, and we were in our studio, and it was perfect because we could work separately and do our own thing, and then two years later, when Tom left, they they totally trashed him for refusing to go into the same studio with them and 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 that ruined the record, they said they couldn't work together because their vision of the band by that point was so different that it was almost impossible to, you know to even make one record.
0: And they made two records with his replacement. And those really have not made an enormous splash in the culture. But even as that happened, of course, as I, I interviewed Travis Barker last year, because he's become more famous than ever for a lot of reasons based on his uh, Kardashian relationship and his association with the pop-punk revival producing the Machine Gun Kelly's albums and a million other things. So there's this weird thing. I mean, right now, Travis Barker is in this insane position of strength.
1: He's super famous, he's super successful, he's super current. He's working all these songs that are very relevant. But strangely, he has a real passion for Blink. He's very committed to it. He doesn't have to spend his next eighteen months on the road with Blink. But he really loves it. He's very close to Mark. Mark just survived cancer. I mean, it was really bad. And he's cancer free now. So in the same way that their last reunion was kind of born out of Chavis' plane accident. I feel this is sort of born out of Mark's cancer, that he survived that. There's been so much tragedy that's interspliced with the story of these three goofy guys.
0: Even before DeLong officially joined the band last year, Barker told me that he thought he was going to spend a ton of time with Blink in uh, this year and next year. And he also told me that he he kind of telegraphed this because he said that he and Mark were back on friendly terms with Tom DeLung. Yeah. That was not something that happened often, so that kind of went. I'm, sure, I'm sure when Sheba heard that, he, he started you know looking for other work. Well, and they
1: played a couple of like COVID-era streams that were without Skiba. So it looked really fraught for poor Matt Skiba for a while there.
0: And Hoppus is apparently writing a book about his cancer survival and about his whole life. So it's going to be a moment for Blink-182. So I thought we'd go back and sort of tell the story of the band a little bit and of their strife, because it's actually a really interesting story that should be told in longer form, whatever that may be. Hoppus and DeLong were together way before Travis Barker.
1: Yeah, it's basically two teenage buddies from San Diego that loved punk music and skateboarding. And when they were 15, they were locked in together. They were true best friends. They loved the same kind of music. And they made a bunch of these early songs and these early albums. It was very under the radar. And then when Travis joined, it was the missing piece, and, their, and then their chops grew songwriters and as songwriters and as musicians, and Travis is such a great drummer that when they put, they put out Enema of the State in the late 90s, it just exploded. It was all over MTV. It was like the right band at the right time. As they said in the Rolling Stone cover story that they were like, Fisher Price's my first punk band for lots of kids. It was a way to get into a new kind of music with all the rough edges just sawed away. You know, it was very easy to embrace for kids that were looking for something different.
0: And I think both the music and the lyrics had more melancholy and depth than just sort of a cursory view of the singles and videos would suggest. You know, even an early song like Damn It had that incredible melancholy to it.
1: Yeah, then there's Adam's song.
0: Really days, days I-
1: there's Stay Together for the kids. There's a lot of deep stuff in there that I think teenagers, they connected to. In addition to all of the dick jokes and all of the goofiness that's in the band, I think and that's so. sort of the formula of the group. It's really I think teenagers—the time they could really connect to the depth of the emotions on something like Adam's Song, and just the playfulness of a song like What's My Age Again. There's a, a great duality to what they did.
0: I think the really juvenile stuff—the album titles and the the videos and the onstage antics—helped sort of like sweeten the medicine of something like Stay Together for the Kids, which, you know, I think you have one good divorce song, you'll bond yourself to a generation forever, that's for sure, you know? Yeah. Not, not to say it was strategic, yeah, yeah. it was based on their lives, but, you know.
1: Yeah, and then there's Aliens Exist, that there's all of these different angles of the band <laughs> what, on these what, early records. Yeah,
0: let's talk about Aliens Exist, because <laughs> few songs have foreshadowed the future more uh, than Aliens Exist. Tom DeLong wrote it. And at the time, it's, it's one of those things where you could just dismiss as, oh, like, oh, what a fun song. But <laughs> it, it turned out to presage his passionate commitment to the cause yeah. of proving that UFOs are real, which ended up involving a lot of his time and money and is locked into the themes of his breakaway band Angels and Airways. But he also became like a key force behind UFO research.
1: Yeah, and a bunch of these emails that came out that his name is in a ton of them, and even sort of the WikiLeaks emails stuff that came out, he's extremely involved in this UFO stuff. And there's, but then you know, I don't believe he's proved anything, but plenty of us of these UFO enthusiasts they see him as their leader, and they produced a bunch of these videos from airplanes that they swear are. That confirmed with, with no doubt that there's UFOs in this guy.
0: Well, yeah, look, look, on one level, he's been completely vindicated because there are UFOs. Sure. They're just not necessarily aliens. I'm sorry, Tom, but there are UFOs. The existence of UFOs has been confirmed by the U.S. government now, and they have these videos. It's just, again, like he would insist that they're aliens. But we don't know what they are. But there are UFOs, so congratulations, Tom DeLonge. Something exists, you know? So Blink-182 with Travis Barker in their prime had only three albums. Their major label debut was Dude Ranch, and that was in 1997. And and that was with their previous drummer, Scott Rayner. And that actually had Damn It on it, their first real hit. But yeah, once Travis Barker arrived and they had the definitive lineup, there were only three albums.
1: Yeah, there is... There was end with the state, there was take off your pants and jacket, and there was self-title. And in the story of these few years, you see Tom so quickly wanting to break away from blank, wanting to break away from the pop punk sound. He formed Boxcar Racer, which was a post-punk group. This vacation's useless. These white pills are kind. I've given a lot of thought on this 13 hours. Wait, That was with Travis very early. He felt... The straight jacket of Blink, extremely early when he was in his mid twenties, and Mark was very upset by it because you know it was a spinoff group with two thirds of the band that, after making albums, they were touring.
0: Yeah, and in Travis's book, he was like, you know, only like later did I realize, like, wow, it looked kind of like two guys from the band were going off and forming a. Another band without the third guy, it's like looked like,
1: like that's yeah, what you're it doing. It'd be like if Stuart Copeland and Sting started a group together in 1980 or something. It well, was sure. Crazy. It's, also,
0: it's also, by the way, what's happening with Radiohead right now with the smile. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So that was a big problem. And then when Tom came back, the music changed. It wasn't as accessible, it wasn't as successful. I gotta regret right now.
0: But so it also so was still very popular. Oh, oh, wait, wait, you're talking about the Unself Titled. Yeah. I mean, that's a great album that showed growth. And it wasn't just Tom. It was also Travis Barker was ahead of his time. This band, The Transplants, that was kind of like a a hip hop punk fusion. Loved hip-hop. The other guys, especially Tom, had no interest in that whatsoever. Tom, he liked
1: groups like U2 and Muse and stuff. Big stadium rock style sounds is what he likes. Mark is like an old-school Blink fan that's a member of Blink. He wants Enema of the State forever. So you have three very different visions for this group, which made it very hard to
0: carry on. In Travis's book, he takes credit for basically introducing... That he says that Tom basically liked only two bands, The Descendants. Why can't you say
1: you talk to me? You're already thinking about someone else.
0: And Propagandhi. Say that on cops. Say not on men. Yeah, you insist it's only 99%. There's nothing new for you. And that he introduced him to all his music, so he kind of like built his own downfall into this. But Travis's electronic and hip hop thing is not to be underestimated as another factor, because if you listen to self titled, they're already putting in, like, you know, electronic beats and hip hop stuff and stuff. I mean, And the other thing is it was at that point, 2003, and the writing was on the wall for traditional rock. And that was the other thing. So Travis, yeah. again, was living in the future.
1: It was smart and it worked briefly. I saw like feeling this is great. It was blank moving into the future. It just couldn't continue because when you have three visions of the group that are that different, and Tom was so determined to do something else.
0: The important thing in these books and uh, is to sometimes read between the lines. He he mentions sort of in passing that maybe the uh, reality TV cameras for Travis's show Meet the Barkers might have been somewhat <laughs> irritating to the band, and that and it was actually it was Mark who quit the band. It was Mark, so right. so it isn't Tom's. Tom's artistic ambition are one factor, but Travis's travisness is seems like another factor as well. Yeah,
1: that these MTV shows of the mid two thousands were so destructive to families, to relationships. Think about Nick and Jessica. You think about the Osborne kids becoming drug addicts. You think about the Hogan family imploding. These. It was these reality shows were so destructive, it's so intrusive to have cameras around all the time and make your real life into a soap opera for MTV. It's just crazy. So they break up, but, but then almost immediately, Travis and Mark, they form Plus 44, a very Blank-ish spin-off group that at first said that we're not gonna play Blank songs. We're, we're Plus 44, we're a new group. Turn it up, I never wanna go home. after a year, they're playing the Blink Hits, of course. But, you know, yeah, it wasn't satisfying because people don't want Plus 44. They want Blink you too. You know, it's kind of absurd.
0: <laughs> and, and Plus 44, by the way, is basically the same thing as the Skiba era Blink.
1: Right. And then meanwhile, Tom is doing Angels and Airwaves. He's just doing like Bad U2, which, you know, well, well, I know
0: there's fans for it. The, yeah, there are people. I personally was always a little baffled by angels and airwaves I, I didn't hate it I admired the ambition, but it, it all was I mean I think what was more peculiar than the music because I understand the the sort of urge to do you know this anthemic giant rock you know totally understand that but there was some very bizarre conceptual stuff that seemed to relate to the alien stuff. Like,
1: There were books attached to it, and like graphic novels, to follow it all, you need to really be a fan and really get down to a granular level.
0: Some uh, some titles from the uh, 2011 Angels and Airways album: Love Part One and Two, uh, The flood of Apollo, The Moon, Dash Atomic. Close. Moon is my witness, the revelator. Behold a pale horse.
1: I am the first and last. The crowd, the noise, the change of the guard. It's such a strange celebration Kiss.
0: Very far away from this suburban angst of of, of blink. Right. And very pretentious, and honestly. It, and if
1: you're playing songs that are like that built for arenas, but in like a club, it's just awkward. From my estimation, it didn't work. I know that I have a cult following and they're popular, I don't want to shit on them, but. Most Blink fans did not enjoy it, and most, and most Blink fans were not totally pleased by plus 44.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
1: Um, and then, but they weren't speaking and the group seemed, it seemed truly over. Then in 2008 well, was this horrible plane accident that the fact Travis is, is, even alive after that is an absolute miracle. You don't survive a plane crash. It was only DJ AM and Travis survived the pilot and their assistant and everybody else in the plane died on impact or died soon after. Yeah. Uh, Travis was covered in significant burns. He was extremely injured. And it was while he was recovering is when Tom came to visit him and Mark came and they decided to put the band back together. But Travis was still deep in the throes of PTSD and he wouldn't fly an airplane for at least a decade or so.
0: In his book, like kind of horrifyingly, he talks about how he was, uh, he was scared of flying before that. Because it's Travis, this colorful tattooed punk rock guy, I think people can't quite get their heads around the sheer horror of what this guy experienced. The
1: the plane crashed and then he runs out of the wreckage totally doused in flames. I mean, it's just the most awful thing anybody can experience. And DJ AM died of a drug overdose just not long afterwards. So Travis is the sole survivor of this flight. And when he recovered, the band reunited and they toured and it, it was very successful. But as I was saying, Tom's heart was not totally into it, and it imploded a few years later.
0: Mark and Travis gave an interview to Rolling Stone's Jason Newman, where they're basically like, <laughs> like to summarize, fuck Tom DeLong, I think would be, the, that's where they said he was ashamed of the band and everything, and it was just an ATM to him, and... Which he then posted a Facebook message basically being like, it's not true, you know, I have a lot of ideas for the band, they don't want to agree with me, and, and just so, you know, and it, then then well, it, then quits.
1: He quits, and whenever they would announce a tour, it's he would hint online, he was still in the band, that he was coming back, and it almost seemed designed to tank those tours, because why go see those tours? Yeah, he am just waiting that Tom back. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was pissed off that they carried on with somebody well,
0: else. There was some indication that there were some legal issues about continuing on as Blink without him. Like Travis said, everyone was just shouting Skiba, Skiba, Skiba. I mean, people could not have been happier. That At least that's what he said in his book. I don't know.
1: Uh, of course. Yeah. It's like, who wants slash when there's Buckethead on stage, right? <laughs> it's even better to Buckethead. It's a cooler hat at the KFC <laughs> thing than a stop hat. Yeah.
0: New and improved, <laughs> now with Bucket. Right, yes. Yeah. Uh, although, actually, I would have to say that right now if you ask me who would I rather see, Buckethead or slash I, oh. I think i might say buckethead i'm sorry but that's a whole other at least the, that that's might a be a inter- conversation at, at least that might be interesting uh yeah <laughs> at least not Buck-
1: just board slash playing these parses zillion times you know, But <laughs> half asleep yeah
0: <laughs> at least Buckethead would probably be awake on stage um <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> don't know if i'll leave them in we'll see yeah so Basically, you know, he has this plane crash and, you know, everyone uh, tearfully rededicates themselves to the band. And then a few years later, Tom undedicates himself to the band.
1: Well, I think what happened was Tom was controlling everything. Tom, he was his own manager. He would decide when they toured. He would decide when they'd record, how they'd record. And after a while, just, just the resentment of one third of this band is controlling everything. And if you watch videos on YouTube that are pro-shot of them at the Reading festival in 2014, you can see Tom not trying. He's singing the songs wrong. He's playing the guitar parts wrong. He's, he's his hat pulled so far down over his head that you barely see his eyes. It's like he was trying to hide from himself on stage or something.
0: Maybe now that the aliens have been found, <laughs> maybe now that the <laughs> UFOs have been proven, he feels he has nothing left to prove, and that's why he can, he can go back. I think I mean, more, sure. more realistically, I would bet that Mark Hopp is having a very serious brush with cancer that was probably life-threatening that tends to oh, yeah. clarify things. And if they they already were back on friendly terms before that diagnosis was announced, if you're already reestablishing a friendship and then there's this sickness and you realize you know you only have so much time on this earth, it's that classic thing. So why not you know? Get back together, and yeah. and uh. and and with bands
1: that started as real legit friends when they were very young. That there's always something there they can fall back on. That this wasn't a mercenary band. These are people that really loved each other at some point when they were kids, and so that often helps. I mean, but this is a. Big tour, I'm sure Live Nation, they came to them and they were like, do you want a hundred million dollars to split three ways, and go do a hundred shows, you know.
0: What I've never seen before is where a member of the band helped create the cultural climate that then would lead for to be a perfect time for the band to come back, and that's exactly what Travis Barker did, as we touched upon. Yes, he produced with, he played and produced and co-wrote with Machine Gun Kelly. Watch me, take a
1: good thing and fuck it all up in one night on to run away from the headlights.
0: But also a whole lot of other people. Uh Willow. I don't fucking know if it's a liar, it's a fact. Your little fake friends, your secrets for some cash. Smile on my face, put your cig out on my bag if you ever see- And he's also you know, not with necessarily a ton of success, but is signing all these TikTok stars to his label. He is right in the thick of things. He helped bring back pop punk yeah. in the yeah. mainstream. But this is as you know, I've Anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows that, or just to the radio, knows that, you know, guitars are back on the radio, pop punk is back. And so, and it's really not the pop punk of Green Day. It's the pop punk of Blink-182.
1: Yeah, they're the forefathers of this. And if that was enough, uh, uh, Travis married Courtney Kardashian. So he's a part of the show now. It's so watched by all these people. So there's going to be like some synergy there. I'm sure that a big part of this, the, a future season will be on this tour. It's just free promotion on Hulu.
0: I mean, someone like the late Juice World, Love Blink-182, their influence is everywhere. I was listening to their discography and thinking what it was like to be Billy Joe Armstrong. Hearing their, their first couple albums on a major label, and just when he was kind of feeling like he needed to evolve and he didn't want to be a young punk anymore, here comes these young punks who yeah. definitely wanted to be young punks. It's, a weird, it's an amazing yeah. thing.
1: Then in 2002, at a low point on Green Day, they toured together, but Blink closed out every single show. So Green Day was opening up for the band, for a, a band that really followed it in their wake in so many ways.
0: I think that tour was probably the real secret origin of American Idiot. It's like, I, we cannot, right. we, this, is, this is intolerable. <laughs> we got to either go for it or, or disappear.
1: Yeah, and then Green Day surpassed them for quite a while, for years and years and years and years with a bigger ban. But right now on the cultural radar, Blink is a bigger deal.
0: What is that? Actually, it also is that terribly unfair thing where sometimes the best thing you can do for your legacy is essentially go away. Although even or even weirder, I talked about chili peppers. Another analogy is as we just mentioned Guns N' Roses, where technically you almost never went away. You've been going and going, but in this weird way where no one really believes it's you. <laughs> so you're cashing the paycheck, yeah, no, but like
1: if you reunite, it's a reboot. They had Guns N' Roses in 2015 we were playing Vegas residencies at theaters. They were playing Hammerstein Ballroom type places. They were out of arenas. They had overtour and it was just Axel. The same show year after year after year with a rotating crew of Bumblefoots and all these guys. And even when Duff came back for a tour, it was no big deal. You bring in Slash. Suddenly, the whole past 20 years didn't happen. (laughs) Back in stadiums, a complete reboot.
0: You could go see Blink-182 like three years ago, right? Blink-182 were on tour not that long ago.
1: They did Enemy of the State straight through their biggest record. Nobody really cared. They were playing to oceans of empty seats.
0: I guess what's important to remember is the difference between some of these other bands we're talking about is Tom DeLong was also a lead vocalist in the band. They split yeah. the lead vocals. So it's much more significant, you know, to, to the full sound and feel of the band than just losing a guitar player. You were losing... You were losing the guitarist and one of the singers. Yeah,
1: and there's the dynamic between them on stage that was a big part of the appeal. They'd make jokes back and forth. Like Travis didn't talk on stage. It was Mark and Tom were the spirit of the band, this eternal youth thing that If you take one out, it just collapses.
0: I'm sure Skiba had a great sense of humor. I don't know, but yes. And and listen, no offense to him, he's a talented dude. It's just like, it's just such an awkward position to be in.
1: It's impossible. It's impossible. And their stage show, even at the very end, was so juvenile. Even men in their late 40s just going, poopy, poopy, poopy. And, you know, it's crazy, but it still works somehow.
0: I think the most positive sign for him is their new song went instantly viral on tiktok and it could have been people making fun of this old ass band trying to sound like when they were young but instead the meme was millennials being incredibly happy uh which is so so interesting and and bodes so well for them i can't even tell you i can't remember the last time a a comeback song to have that kind of positive reaction is 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 fascinating
1: it's it's sort of just fallout boy when they came back with with those songs like centuries and stuff where they just went right back into it
0: maybe it'll turn out to be like it's, that
1: it's very rare and it's really surprising when those videos started on mtv in the late 90s and they were right on the street naked and that's about the time she walked away from me nobody likes you when you're 20 didn't seem like something that was built to last it seemed very flash in the pan
0: i mean well i understand the excitement after all they have not made an album since 2003 or toured <laughs> <laughs> right
1: we made that whole other period
0: which none is of budget. that stuff none of that has happened and the thing is look most yeah. people i think other than fans there might be people who actually believe that because this is also getting more attention than their initial reunion so there may be people who are like, holy shit, Blinkery Two's back. I haven't thought yeah. about them since 2003 when I bought the South yeah. album.
1: Yeah, or there's people that during that middle period, they were late in college. You know, they were in their 20s. When you get a bit older, you go back to your old stuff. You feel nostalgic. It's just a different mental place when you're older.
0: We're hitting this sort of chronological end of the big rock reunions, though. <laughs> this is like one of the last ones that can happen.
1: If you think that the era of the big bands, of the big rock bands, ended in, like, 05 or something, and there's not many more. I don't think people will care much if the original four Panic! Disco guys are all back together or something, you know?
0: Yeah, so this is actually, maybe that subconsciously, it's like, well, this is the last one. Time to get psyched for one last rock reunion. There certainly can be reunions, but not of rock bands, so, that I can think of. I guess, you know, Oasis, well, Oasis.
1: Well, you can yeah. say it, the Smiths or the Talking Heads or whatever, but groups that are...
0: Right, post-1997, there's not, yeah. not a lot there as far as, you know... You
1: have to go away. <laughs> if you stick around, it's not interesting.
0: Chris Martin could announce, like, I for the first time since 2005, I've let the other guys do something on an album. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, you, you got to go away. If you stick around, then you're you too, you know?
0: Yeah, you're punished. You have to convince people that you went away.
1: It's very strange. But three-thirds is so much bigger than two-thirds.
0: It's very weird. What's
1: cool was they didn't go piecemeal in the announcement, like so many tours these days. They announced so many dates that they're through mid-2024 right now with the dates that they put out. It's just the whole freaking world.
0: It would be really interesting, actually, you use the Fall Boy analogy. If they actually had a radio hit, that would be really That's a interesting. That's tall order.
1: That would be amazing.
0: I would say it's not... It is... In this moment, it is not inconceivable.
1: No, it is. But Fall of Fire are the only band ever that reunited and managed to continue having hits. It's impossible, almost.
0: It's possible, you know. Travis is the youngest middle-aged man on Earth right now. He's, you know, he mm-hmm. he, he hangs out. You know, he's through his teenage kids and through all his TikTok stuff. He's completely in touch with, with Gen Z. It's
1: just always a lingering issue of. Tom doesn't really want to be doing
0: this. <laughs> to be totally optimistic, Tom didn't want to be doing this. Who knows where his head's at now? Yeah, I have no idea. Tom has to
1: go play What's My Age again 500 straight times. I worry after 50 of those, he's going to start to crack. I hope that he's ready for this.
0: Leaving a third time would kind of be unprecedented for uh, for DeLong. Even
1: I think he can do it.
0: <laughs> Even for Shante has yet to leave a third time.
1: Give him a couple years.
0: Well, it also may not be like, it may be that this is going to be a two year thing. And he, then, you know, either way,
1: I think, I think that Rick Wakeman, I think he's quit. Yes. At least five different times
0: is putting this all together is sort of one of the great, not fully told stories in rock history. It's an absolutely wild ups and downs story. Well,
1: It's a rare thing where all three members of a band or all members of a band are very compelling, have their own interesting things happening and very distinct storylines. I mean, it's sort of remarkable. All three have so much going on in such different ways.
0: The breaking off and forming separate bands with each other is extremely funny. (laughs) They're ultimately, I think, properly rated by people of a certain generation, but they definitely were a bit underrated well, as the band that's seen as sort of like the thing that's for kids, Green Day with Dookie were initially kind of seen as kids stuff. It's just their fans were so young. And then, but just the way it works is then Green Day becomes the, the grown up band and, and Blink becomes the kids band. When
1: Blink started and I was in high school, my entire reaction was just, this is just shitty juvenile Green Day. I hated it. I, I didn't get it until years later, but there's so much of what they did is built on Green Day in some ways
0: was it's a generational gap thing but you know you were just you were just slightly a micro I was generation like too old for like
1: 17 or 18 and i was just like fuck this i didn't want anything to do with it it, it took
0: me it's, years it's easy to forget that especially years ago maybe less so now there could be music that 17, 18 year olds, 19 year olds hated and 13 year olds loved. Yeah. Uh, that, that, it's the, a, the micro, micro generational difference. It's a huge is a difference.
1: Thing. When Green Day started, I was in seventh grade. I was like, fuck yeah. When Blink started, I was like, a, I was like a junior in high school. I was like, fuck no. You know, it was just my brain had closed or something.
0: People kind of look down on the kids' band, but those kids grow up and either become artists or get into positions of cultural authority, and suddenly blink 2 is the most influential band that ever lived. That's just how it goes.
1: Yeah, it's a very unlikely thing, but the biggest 90s band on the road next year is gonna be Blink, you know? And you would not have thought that in the year 2000. It just sort of happened.
0: Andy, thank you for joining me. Of course, it was my pleasure. And that's our episode for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week at the latest we've had some bonus episodes lately but in the meantime subscribe to rolling stone music now wherever you get your podcasts download us wherever you get your podcasts and maybe leave us five stars on apple podcasts and spotify that's always appreciated but as always thanks for listening and we will see you next week